This is the seventh installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio magazine podcast. Ear to the Ground features interviews, reviews, and field reports related to sustainable agriculture, family farming, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm your host, Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Ever dream of farming? If the answer is yes, you're not alone. In the nine years that the Land Stewardship Project's Farm Beginnings Program has been offering courses, we've often found that the demand outstrips the supply when it comes to providing class space for wannabe farmers. Despite all the negative press about the problems facing independent family farmers, there are a lot of people, both young and not so young, who feel there are some genuine opportunities available on the land. And as Farm Beginnings' success rate shows, they are right. Innovative production, marketing, and management methods are making farming a viable enterprise for many families out there. In Ear to the Ground number 6, we featured an excerpt from a recent Farm Beginnings class where beef producer Terry Vanderpool talked about the importance of long-range planning and goal-setting when considering a farming career. In this installment, we will go back to the classroom and listen in on Chris Blanchard, a southeast Minnesota vegetable producer and wizard of financial planning. Chris, along with his wife Kim, operates a community-supported agriculture operation, which sells shares in the farm to consumers before each growing season. In return for that purchase share, the farm's consumer members receive a weekly delivery of fresh, organic produce during the summer and early fall. The Blanchers also market directly to consumers via farmers' markets. Over the years, Chris and Kim have gained a reputation for not only producing top-quality organic produce, but for managing their operation in a fiscally sound manner. Chris is a regular Farm Beginnings presenter, and his classes on financial planning are a favorite of many class participants. Why does Chris share his ideas with all those wannabe farmers? Well, as he puts it, he dreams not only of farming himself, but of having neighbors that farm as well. Here we feature Chris's introduction to his financial planning presentation. I always like to talk a little bit about, about why I'm here, and, and uh, the, the first thing I want to say is that I'm not a financials guy. I don't have a training in accounting. I'm not a financial wizard. Um, I'm just sharing what I've learned through the years. Uh, Kim and I have been working on organic farms and getting college degrees in horticulture and working on organic farms some more for about 15 years now, uh, each of us, both both separately and then later on together. And um, and we've learned that this is kind of the backbone of what we do. We like to say that, that uh, profit is like oxygen, food, water, and blood for the body. They're not the point of life, but without them, there isn't any life. And on your farm, that's true. If you're farming as a source of income, if you can't make that farm profitable, then the farm's not going to work. And I don't know about you, um, I was, I was thinking back the other day and realizing, um, trying to think, when, when was the first time I thought that I might want to be a farmer? And I was remembering sitting in Mrs. Jessup's eighth grade English class, sketching pictures of organic hippie farmers, what I called them, organic hippie farmers back then. And, um, and, and not really, I mean, I don't know that at that point I started a conscious projection about where, where I wanted to be, but it was 10 years from the time that I identified that I wanted to be a farmer to the time that I actually bought my own land and started my own business. And by that time I had so much invested into it that it was really the only way I was going to go. And sometimes people say, oh, you know, it's not a life and death issue, but really the financial planning for us is a life and death issue. This is our life. And Kim and I have, have devoted our lives to this. 
this and this is really where the rubber meets the road is where the dollars leave your customer's wallet and hopefully stay in yours. Um, now, I take a lot of time to come to these talks and I do a lot of, of work preparing for them and what I want you to know about this too is that uh, the reason I do this is because um, I have this dream of having a successful farm for ourselves that's gradually coming into reality. Um, I also have a dream of being surrounded by successful farmers and people like us. And so I all, you know, I kind of welcome you now into the into the community of uh, of, of being a neighbor of of everybody in this room. I mean, in a lot of ways, we have to work hard to find our neighbors. My nearest organic neighbor, farming neighbor is about a mile and a half away, and the next nearest is another eight miles after that. So sometimes our neighbors are further away than just next door. So uh, welcome to the neighborhood. <laughs> um, all right, and and Kathy talked a little bit about our farm. I've told you a little bit about our history. What I want you to know about us is that, that we did come into our farming experience with 10 years of experience backing us up. And that included everything from uh, hand weeding onions in California to managing a packing shed at Harmony Valley Farm in Wisconsin to managing an entire farm operation out in Maine. So by the time we hit our farm, we were ready to, to, to hit the ground with, with both feet. And, um, or to hit the ground running. I think that was the phrase I wanted to use. And um, and we've actually grown the farm very rapidly. Our first year we did about $30,000 in gross sales. This year we, uh, in two more weeks, we're going to break a quarter of a million dollars. Now that's in gross sales and the, that's not showing up in our bank account because we've rolled huge amounts of money back into the farm every year. Uh, when we started farming, we had um, we had uh, you know, we had a, our farm car, our farm truck was a Toyota Previa minivan, and I would leave the farm on on Saturdays to go to farmers market. My son Zane and I would pack into the van with a thousand dollars worth of produce in the back, and Zane and I would have to pull our seats as far forward as we could get them to, to fit everything in. And I I could only take Zane because Kim had to stay at home with Oliver because there wasn't any room in the van, and we only owned one car. And we had a two-inch trailer hitch ball uh, that fit one trailer, and a one and seven-eighths inch ball that fit the other trailer, and that went on the tractor and the van and went back and forth. And we didn't buy another one because we didn't have enough money to buy a second two-inch trailer ball, so we could just leave it on both hitches. Um, so, you know, we scrimped and saved. We we've grown past a lot of that, and and it, I'll tell you what, it's awfully it's fun to look back. You know, you mentioned living like you. Uh, living like money's scarce. It's a lot easier to learn that stuff uh, before you need to learn it. You know, I mean, like if you're going to learn karate to protect yourself from a mugger in a dark alley, you want to learn karate before the mugger jumps you. <laughs> and so learning to use these financial planning tools right now may seem like, you know, why, why am I bothering? You know, we've, I got finances under control. We've got cash flow. But if you can start to practice this now, um, when you get into your farming situation, it's going to be a lot easier. Story I like to tell about about Kim and I in that regards. Uh, we were we were managing a farm in Maine, and the lady that owned the farm decided to to close the farm down. And we she gave us a generous severance package and several months to continue living on the farm before we had to before we had to leave. And we were driving around Mount Desert Island in Maine one day, and 
And I had, for a long time, been thinking, oh, I want to have this chicken farm. You know, we're going to do this pastured poultry, and we're going to raise 1,000 chickens the first year, and 3,000 chickens the next year, and 10,000 chickens the next year. We're going to build a processing plant. And I mean, I had this all worked out in my head, this beautiful pastured poultry chicken farm in northeast Iowa. And and I was I was driving around with Kim, and I'm, I'm telling her all about my ideas, and I'm, I'm driving, and she's sitting next to me, and she finally says, you know, I don't want to have a chicken farm. <laughs> and And... I had, as a guy, um, of course, naturally figured that whatever I wanted was whatever was what everybody else wanted, and I had I had gone and created this whole vision in my head without talking explicitly at every step along the way with Kim about that. When we came up with a holistic goal, we're forced to sit down and actually talk about things and figure things out and bring things like our money beliefs out into the open and do the sorts of, of worksheets that, that, that you've been given to do the holistic management, uh, goal planning. It, you know, those things really forced us to talk about stuff that otherwise you don't talk about. I mean, there's so many things to talk about just to get through the day. Who's going to pick up the kids? What are we having for dinner? Who's going to do the dishes? What are we watching on TV? A lot of times we miss those big picture issues like, where do you want to go? Why do you want to go there? Is that where I want to go? You know, why did you spend $50 on a dress when, you know, I'm thinking that we can't spend another $5 on a trailer hitch ball? She never did that. But you know, a lot of times those kinds of misunderstandings um, really really can, can start to bubble up. And, and part of what you need to know, too, farming is hard on your marriage. There was a woman that tried to do an article for Growing for Market magazine on market gardeners and how to have a successful relationship in a market gardening family. She worked on it for eight months and she gave up on writing the article because she didn't find a, a couple that she started interviewing that didn't that, that a year later wasn't having marital problems. Okay, and I think a lot of it does come down to the goals. You're working long, hard hours, and farming is going to take a lot of time, especially getting an operation set up and going. Those first three years, I don't know about about dairy farming or, or raising beef cows, but I can't imagine it's any different than on a market garden. We worked, we still work, 60 to 80 hours a week, all year long, to get the operation up and going. Now, we've really worked a lot of hours to keep ours humping along and growing as fast as we can, um, because that's part of our own professional development goals. But um, it's a lot of work, and you don't have a lot of time to stop. And, and if, you don't, if you don't make the time to stop and talk about things, it won't happen of its own accord. Because you're going to be too busy trying to figure out how to scrimp and save, how to get the chickens moved, how to get the cows moved, how to get the vegetables picked. And you forget to talk about why you want to get the cows moved, why you need a new trailer hitch ball, or why you want to get the vegetables picked. So, all that. Um, we have some general principles that we like to apply to farming. And, and the first is that while, while farming is a, is a great idea and it's, and it's very compelling, it's not a cause all by itself. Um, I mean, you can be inspired and compelled to get into this farming business and you can still go out of business just like that. Um, most small businesses don't last past their first three years. I think the statistics goes that 50% of small businesses go out of business within a year. The next 50% of those that are left are gone in three years, and 50% of those that are left after that are gone in seven. And you are starting a small business, whether you're starting a farm or a bakery. Um, it still all comes down to business. Um, 
I don't know how that pans out with farms. Nobody keeps statistics on farmers anymore because there aren't enough of us. Um, we're going to talk a lot about economical decisions and, and a lot of the decision-making processes that I'll be talking about over the next two sessions concern economics. But it's important to be aware you can make decisions that aren't economically rational. Um, that's okay to do. You just need to do it with your eyes wide open. We have a market garden in northeast Iowa. Um, right now, and we didn't realize this when we moved in, it was actually a decision I wish we had made with our eyes more wide open when we bought our piece of property. But we're an hour and a half to the nearest major metropolitan area in Rochester, Minnesota, and we're three hours to an area that has any natural food stores up in the Twin Cities. So that limits a lot of our marketing options if we want to go local. We have a nice co-op in Decorah. It's a very thriving, successful co-op. They sell $125,000 worth of fruit and vegetables in a year. So they're selling half of the amount of produce that we are. And that includes bananas, oranges, and apples, which we don't even touch. Um, we once figured out that if every man, woman, and child in Decorah um, bought $20 worth of vegetables from us, we could make enough money to make a living on our farm. And the problem is, in Decorah, most men, women, and children don't eat $20 worth of vegetables in a year. Um, so we... So moving to Northeast Iowa wasn't an economically rational decision, but it's one that we made because of, of history that we had in that place, um, of how often we had moved between the time we had left our home there to the time uh, when we finally had enough money to get a market garden started. We made a conscious decision to move to that place. And, and I think you can do that. You just need to do that with your eyes wide open. You know, you know I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go to farmer's market at the last farmer's market because my kid's got to play. I'm going to go to the play. That's okay. Um, also, we're not here to talk about budgets. This is financial planning, and that's different than budgeting. I always think of budgeting, that's what you do in a corporation. You get your budget together, you go through, you work all year, maybe you check in with your budget once or twice, and at the end of the year you go, yep, we're over budget, or hey, we're under budget, yay. We're doing financial planning. That's a little bit of a bigger process. Um, I did mention one time to my, my stepfather that I was teaching a course of financial planning, and, and he works in the banking industry. He's like, well, you're going to tell him about uh, mutual funds and retirement accounts? I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm going to you know, tell him how to make a profit. Um, so we're also not going to talk about mutual funds. Um, does anybody here know what a mutual fund is? Talk to me at break. I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> my dad does. Cool. Um, uh, all right, hope isn't a method. I mean, that's part of the planning process, okay? I mean, hoping that you're going to make it doesn't, again, it doesn't work when the cows are staring back at you. you they're counting on you to come up with the hay that they need. And um, so, yeah, don't, it, it, hope isn't a good method. It's not a good strategy. Um, hope is an important attitude to have, though. And I think that that attitude, those, the money beliefs that you have can always be turned into strengths, especially if you know that you have them. Um, and then the other thing I want to mention is, is that we're very much into the business of farming. Before we got started farming, we always used to read books by Elliot Coleman about market gardening and Joel Salatin about, about pasture poultry. Uh, Kim would say I read too many books about Joel Salatin. Um, you know, we'd, but we'd read everything we could get on, our hands on about, about farming. And then suddenly we got on the farm and we realized, you know, that's all fine and good, but we don't know anything about running a business. And so we started delving into the business literature. 
and and I I well Barnes and Nobles doesn't have an agriculture section anyway, so I make a beeline for the business section and start reading books about business. And I found a couple that are my that are some of my favorites that I want to share. The first is the EMF, and I actually think if there was if there was anything that was required reading for the farm beginnings class, I would I, this is the first thing I'd put on my list. It's by Michael Gerber. And basically, he lays out a process, a way of thinking about your business. And, and it's remarkable, isn't it, Kathy, how much of this stuff kind of comes back to almost a holistic management style of, of managing. But he puts it in a different way, um, and there, there's a few different steps, but it's really worth reading. We don't follow the model that Michael lays out in his book, but we use a lot of the ideas um, that he lays out. Another one is your money or your life. Um, have you read this yet? No. Um, <laughs> you're failing this class, Dad. Um, okay. <laughs> um, this is a really great book about personal financing and personal budgeting, and and really helped Kim and I to to put a, to sock away money at a time when we weren't making much money. Um, we actually saved $13,000 on a $20,000 a year salary using the techniques in this book, uh, which we were impressed with. Um, getting things done by... Yes, I'm sorry. Joe Dominguez and Vicki Robbins. Vicki Robin, singular. Uh, D-O-M-I-N-G-U-E-Z. And I'll set these on the table over here. You can't take them with you, but you're certainly welcome to copy down ISBN numbers and whatnot. I have a little sheet from last year of the books that you use. Oh, great. Okay. Thank you. And then the other one is, is Getting Things Done by David Allen. And one of the hardest things for us when we started farming was getting up in the morning because you'd get up and it's like, well, you could do anything. You know, I can go clean the barn. I could I could feed the chickens. I could pick the carrots. I could, you know, I there were there were just too many options, and especially if you go out and buy a farm, and I don't know about the farms as you guys have looked at, but I mean the basement of our barn was filled with junk, and the granary was filled with junk, and you know there's a lot of cleanup to do. We didn't have any windows in the farmhouse, and there were no pipes in the house either, so we had to do all that. We had to get a new furnace, you know. But every day you'd wake up, and it's like. <gasps> There's 10,000 things to do. What do I do? And so we learning, learning some of the techniques about time management have been really important for Kim and I to, to make an effective use of our time. And then as your business grows, you know, you turn into, you stop being a, a, a technical guy and all of a sudden you have to manage employees and, and uh, you know, pay your taxes and do the payroll and, and write invoices and everything else. And, and trying to juggle all of that together and figure out what to do when is... is uh, is a bigger job than I like to undertake every day, but there you go. That's the price of price we pay for success. I guess if I didn't have invoices to write, that would be a bad thing. I always say I'd hate to be a bored entrepreneur. Um, okay. So just to lay out the session for you a little bit, uh, tonight's session is really about the big picture. And I kind of like to work from the big picture back down to the smaller picture. Um, I'm going to talk about some, well, I've already talked about some general principles. We're going to talk about long-range financial planning, uh, then debts and financing, investing, uh, our version of investing, uh, and then finally the, the plan, monitor, control, and replan feedback loop. Have you guys talked about that already? Okay. 
Um, and then and how finance and how our financial record keeping fits into that and, and different ways of doing financial record keeping and different ways of, of, of doing that. I call it the PMCR plan monitor control and replan PMCR process. Uh, next week we'll take a look at, at more specifics about actually doing the financial plan for your on the on an annual basis and an enterprise basis. The very first thing that uh, you really have to do because because profit um, can can start to seem like it is life, but it isn't life. The first thing you need to do is to really work on the holistic goal. Um, I think it was two years ago I, I came to this class and I got to the third session and I said, so who's worked on their holistic goal? Who's worked on their holistic goal? Really worked on it. Good? 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 Okay. Really, if there's nothing else that you do in this class, work on that holistic goal setting process. Um, talk to your partner about it. If you're doing it by yourself, do it by yourself. Get it done and get it done on paper. It's amazing when you sit down and actually write things down, all of a sudden they magically happen. Hey, how are you? Good. Good. Doing good. You tell them if I'm telling any lies, okay, Katie? Okay. okay. Um, Katie worked on our farm uh, last year. Not 2005, but 2004. We're still getting done with the 2005 thing, so. Um, the, um, but once you write things down, all of a sudden you really start to progress towards them. And, and it's amazing in, our, in, in my own life how many times I've written something down and all of a sudden it kind of magically becomes true and usually ahead of schedule. Um, so that holistic goal, you need to work on it. I've actually, um, I came to this class a couple years ago and, and nobody in the class had made any progress on their holistic goal. And so I went home and I was so upset about it that I put together a handout about some concrete steps that you can take to generate a goal. And that's in your handouts here. The other thing that's in your handouts I should have mentioned is a, is a glossary of financial planning terms. If you flip that over and start at the other end, um, that's things that we use and it's got a little bits of wisdom that, that I've been told over the years in that. But the, the worksheets for coming up with a holistic goal, I think, are, are, are pretty valuable. It's, it's, it's the exact steps that Kim and I went through to come up with ours, and it really did work. The other thing I want to say, we have a copy of our holistic goal in there. It's not as a model. It's as an example of a holistic goal. So you don't, you don't have to use fancy language. You don't have to use correct punctuation and bullet points. You don't have to type it. You just got to get it down on paper somehow in some way that you understand and the people that are sharing that goal understand. This is what our holistic goal um, currently looks like. I show you this because it's a work in progress. It's kind of a sloppy, messy thing. And you never really get a firm grasp on what that end project is. Um, and, and so we, you know, we're always crossing out, adding up, rephrasing circling. We try to evaluate this every year and that's actually what the what some of the highlighting is. It's things that we're falling short on. We go through and look at things that we're doing well on. In our case we underline those. Um, try to figure out how we're going to remedy that, how we're going to keep doing a good job. Um, so I that's, a, that's an important process and that's I think something that's a little scary about doing a holistic goal the first time is you go, God, well when I get done, you know, I've kind of said what I'm going to do with my life and what if a year from now that's not what I want to do with my life. Um, if it's not, you cross it out and you come up with something else.
will feature more excerpts of Farm Beginnings classes in the future. If you'd like to actually take the course, you should know they begin meeting each October and run until February or March. The classes normally meet twice a month. During the spring and summer, Farm Beginnings sponsors on-farm visits where class participants can get a first-hand look at innovative farming methods in action, as well as hook up with mentoring farmers. In recent years, Farm Beginnings Minnesota has been meeting in New Prague, just south of the Twin Cities. During the fall of 2005, Farm Beginnings programs were launched in Missouri, Nebraska, and Illinois. So even if you don't live in Minnesota, there may be an opportunity to take this exciting course. If you'd like to learn more about Farm Beginnings, go to www.landstewardshipproject.org backslash programs underscore farmbeginnings.html. That's landstewardshipproject.org backslash programs underscore farmbeginnings.html. You can take a virtual tour of Chris and Kim Blanchard's Rock Spring Farm at www.rsfarm.com. That's www.rsfarm.com. You can send your comments, criticisms, and suggestions about this podcast to me, Brian DeVore, at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org. That's bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org. You can also give me a call at 612-729-6294. A special thank you goes out to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician and LSB staffer, who provides Ear to the Grounds theme music. And a very special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member and would like to support us, go to landstewardshipproject.org to learn how to join LSP. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.